Hello there. Welcome to the Creative Masterclass. I'm Poi Fan Lee, and this is going to be all about the Clangers and Paddington. But before we get started, we're going to hear from one of our change makers, Harrison Gunn, who's sitting here, who'll be coming up in a moment. Now, we'd also like to take the opportunity to thank our change maker sponsor, BAFTA, who see the Strand as part of their support for new talent. And this change maker has relevance to that. Speaking on behalf of BAFTA as a change maker, 13-year-old Harrison, Harrison Gunn, whose interest in young people's mental health brought him to start his own podcast and campaign supporting this rising issue. Harrison is here today to talk about how children's media can contribute to supporting the young generation. Harrison, please take the stage. Thank you, everyone. I'm Harrison Gunn. Um, I'm 13 years old. I'm a young presenter and change maker. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about how my autism and my ADHD has affected where I am today and how I want to help other people that are suffering from what I've suffered with get to where I am. So, loads to do with this as well. I mean, um, my. <laughs> My socials are up there, and this is the logo of my campaign, Harrison's Mental Health Campaign, which I launched a couple of months ago with the podcast and the social medias where I've been posting things that people have been following along with. For example, I put a thing on there for people to put a picture of themselves in natural light and natural smile to, to show that you don't need to impress the media all the time. My autism and my ADHD has affected me in a way I wouldn't even hold up an applause sign in a Beatles tribute at when I was four years old. And now I'm stood here today. BAFTA Kids have given me the amazing opportunity of the Young Presenter Competition, which I was a runner-up of in 2017. So I thank them for this opportunity. So autism in the media, and especially children's media. Now, when I searched it up, autism and media, I came across this, the big autism cover-up. And I sort of thought to myself, what does that mean? It's a bit unusual. Is there anything wrong with it? But is it accepted? It might be accepted in some cases, but not in all. And it may be looked down upon. So I decided to have a look for the autistic notable figures in children's media. And there were only a selected amount. And I wondered why. Is it something people are scared of? What people might think? And why can't I find it? And it's because there aren't many. So here is a group of cartoon people. They're all happy and it's not showing reality. Whereas here, we've got people showing diversity in race, hair colour, that kind of thing. And I've given them all a characteristic. Someone who's shy, someone who's scared, someone who has ADHD, someone who finds noises too loud, someone who finds people being too close uncomfortable. And we need to see more of these characters in children's media. Here is a selected few of some fantastic examples of shows, two of which are BAFTA winning and have received the award for representing children's media very well and bringing a factual, real-life story of mental health, autism and LGBT rights onto the screen. And it's great to see this, but we need more for sure. Now here's a show I'm sure you're familiar with, and you will be familiar that it isn't a children's media show. 
But I found it interesting how this young man, Niall, was on it in 2018 when I came across this interview on Loose Women, not something I watch, but was on Recommended for YouTube. <laughs> Don't know why. Um, but it said Love Island's Niall on his Asperger's. And I thought, I've got that. And he's been successful. So maybe I can be successful. And he has participated in autism Q&A and has been out there about the fact that he has autism. So here are four pictures. What's the correlation between them? Will they all have an effect on your mental health and body image? What effect is it having on body image? Well, it's that thing where you want to take the picture for the gram, you're thinking of how many likes you're going to get. That's the effect it's having. We're not thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about the impression it has on other people. This year's Mental Health Week topic was body image, and so it was quite an important thing for me to bring this in today. So how does it have an effect on it? It has a massive effect. People as young as me and younger are having Instagram and social media much younger and are wanting to take that mirror selfie so that we're looking fantastic. I've done it. I'm sure there are people in this room that have done it. And it's because the pressure that the media is putting on it. And this is the question that people are asking. Do I look right? Do I look wrong? Or do I look enough? And that is what we need to encourage, that they look enough however they look. Now, how big of an effect is it having? Something like mirror selfies, again, is something people really, really are taking. Something that people are looking at a chair in Nando's and going, oh, that'll be Instagrammable. People are using their real life times and going, that'll be something people like, not that's what I like. And that is the problem. So is children's media contributing to mental health issues and body image issues? Or... Is it raising the issue? Well, it's not contributing to it. It's not raising it, but it needs to be raising it, and we need to see it more. It's not doing it in the correct ways, in my opinion, so we need to sort that out. Children's media, what they can do, or what you can do, to change. One example, I've worded this not very well, but basically what I mean is how you have to release your gender pay gap notes. You should release the percentage of people with hidden disabilities that you are working with, as it is just as important. You need to create shows not just aimed at people with hidden disabilities, but including people with hidden disabilities, and also showing them characteristics of people with hidden disabilities so that people like me can look at the screen and go, well, that's like me, but he's been successful, so I can be successful, just like I saw. And we need to see that more because it's not happening, happening enough. I saw it once and once only. So I decided to put a petition on gov.uk. I applied, not thinking anything of it. And it came back on Google. So if you search, not now because I'm talking, but <laughs> that would be rude. Um, but later, if you could search up petition to employ mental health officers, you will find my petition. And if you can just click a few buttons, put in a couple of words, you will support something so important. Pastoral departments in schools are struggling with things like mental health issues that are bringing in completely different, different aspects of life. Young as 11, in my case, as I've just gone up to a secondary school. And I'll be honest, I've been exposed to a lot. 
there's the link there. And if you head to my Instagram, the link is in the bio there. And while you're at it, if you hit a follow and then do a couple of likes, that'd be very much appreciated. <laughs> That is a petition. It had 85 signatures last time I checked after a few days on. So if you could put that right up, that'd be absolutely fantastic, as we need to try and get to 10,000 by December. Now, here are some quotes from young people. What I decided to do was when I was on the bus with my friends, I thought, let's ask them what they think of it. This was two days ago. So I thought, I need to bring something in so I'm representing them, so I feel like I'm doing them a favour. One person said, it can affect you negatively as well as positively. Negatively, you might feel less, you might feel weaker or not enough. But positively, it shows an admiration you want to be like. It shows someone to look up to and to have an idol to aspire to. Not to be perfect, but to be happy in your own skin. And I think that really sums it all up, how it has advantages and disadvantages, and we need to just really promote it more. One other thing someone said was, everyone says that what I see online is not what I have to be, but there are no relatable characters for my age group, and it makes me feel like I'm not enough if it's not good enough for children's media. So as children's media, which is a responsible area of work, are you being the responsible people that are making people feel happy within themselves or are you making them question themselves? Are you including everybody? Whether you're working on an animation or something like that, are you including everyone in your work? I would really appreciate if you could go home today and think about whether you're not just including visible disabilities but hidden disabilities. So thank you very much for listening. I'm Harrison Gunn. Like I said, if you could go and do my petition, that would be fantastic. I'm Harrison Gunn. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Harrison. 13 years old, change maker, game changer, and probably future leader and superstar. Extraordinary young man. Thank you very much. We also need to say a big thank you to the sponsor for this session, DHX Media. Without the backing of over 70 companies like DHX supporting the conference, we couldn't bring you the wide and varied programme that is the landmark of CMC. So let's kick off with our session today. We have some special guests here. On my right, we have... <laughs> oh, I'm Daniel Postgate. I'm uh, Oliver's son, and I'm a uh, uh, producer on the new Clangers and uh, writer on the Clangers as well. This is... I'm Dan Maddicott. I'm the series producer on The Clangers, and I do all the whistling. <laughs> would you... Would you... And to my left, this is Rosie oh, Allison. I'm Rosie Allison. I'm at Heyday Films. I'm a producer, and I'm the executive producer of the two Paddington films, and now the forthcoming Paddington preschool series. Right. Over the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to be discussing how the characters the Clangers and Paddington, have become timeless over the years. And we'd like to know um, how this has happened, why, and um, dare I say, will they be future-proof? Let's start by asking you, Dan Postgate. Now, tell, oh, me right. about, tell me about the origins of the Clangers. Now, it's, it's July 2019. That's quite significant, isn't it? It's 50 years ago. 
something very special happened that was out of this world, which might be quite um, important relating to the clangers. Would that be the uh, lunar landing? No. Oh, right. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, my dad was, um, it was, it, it coincided with the lunar landing. That, and what started the ball rolling, really, was the BBC were going into colour and they wanted to have something very colourful for, um, for their, um, for the, for, for, for the, just before the news, you know, the children's slot. And um, I think Peter and Oliver thought about something modern. Mm -hmm. and something quite zazzy and sort of... Uh, I think Peter was quite interested in the fashion of the 60s fashion at the time, and Joan, his wife, um, uh, that, hence the sort of the, 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 the armour sort of shapes and stuff. Um, but um, they had a character called... Uh, um, from Nog in the Nog that was in a book, a Nog in the Nog book... I remember ..about a books. moon mouse that crash-landed in, in um, the, uh, the trough, the uh, horse's trough. Um, he was a little bit like... A, he was like an... An ancient clangour, I suppose, in Nog in the Nog times, he wore a duffel coat and had a tail. Um, and so they looked at that and they thought, well, maybe we could um, see where the moon mouse actually lived and uh, lives now and uh, what, what they get up to. So that's how they followed that along. That was the germ of the idea of, uh, of making the clangers. The fact that it was at the same time as the lunar landing probably was a little bit of a nervous part of the, sort of the whole thing for my dad and Peter. I think my dad was a little bit wary about, you know, obviously things can go wrong when you go to the moon uh, in real life, you know. <laughs> and so he, he uh, you know, he was just a little bit concerned about how it would go, how that would work out, you know, uh, with a sort of science fiction children's programme um, about the same time going along. So... So he came, the Clangers originally came from um, a, a sort of a, a small character from Nogging the Nog. Yes. And you got rid of the tail and the duffel coat. Yes. And the, we have a, a wee Clanger there. Do you want to introduce this Clanger here? Yes, this is Tiny Clanger, <laughs> who is the smallest of all the Clangers. And this is uh, how an original old? An original yeah, Clanger. Yeah. yeah. Now, who knitted, knitted this Clanger? That was Peter Furman's wife, Joan, mm -hmm. who knitted it. And Peter, yeah. yeah. I read a, um, recently someone saying they were knitted with wool and love. <laughs> and I thought, isn't that it's absolutely wonderful? I know. So why do you think the clangers were so popular 50 years ago? Well, on the television side of things, I think the reason it was popular was because it was just before the news. And so it got six million viewers <laughs> um, quite often because everybody was just waiting for the... Uh, the real news, I suppose. They probably wanted something light-hearted beforehand. Um, but I don't know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's remained popular. I mean, all my dad's programmes, really, with Bagpuss and Noggin and Ivor and, and so forth, you know, they've all seemed to have um, remained popular, really, and just that they're, they're good storytelling, I think, really. At the end of the day, I think if you've got good stories, I think that means an awful lot. I think that's very important, you know. I mean, my dad wasn't so worried, in a way, about how things were presented, because that was Peter's side of things, really. But quite often, I mean, when he made the Pogel's Wood, he made it al fresco, he made it outside, um, with the characters animated, you know, and somebody wrote to him and said, Mr. Postgate, do you understand that the clouds are moving very fast and that the shadows are juddering about? And he said, yeah, well, um, yes, yeah, so what? Because he didn't really mind very much. Because these, the story these were all stop-motion animation. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. So it took... 
I mean, so, 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 yeah, the early times when he was first experimenting, he made the ping, program called The Penguins, which was about penguin-like characters around the farm where Peter lived. Um, he made it all outside, you know, which I, I don't think they do anymore, you know, it's sort of like, cause you, you can't control the weather and, and, the, and the movement. Like, yeah, but it wasn't, that was his sort of concern, really. But, I mean, his main thing he was worried, concerned about was having a good story to tell, really. Right. Know. And, Dan, I know you're the, the whistler, Mm -hmm. Right now. <laughs> um, oh, 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 oh. I've got you, he's in searching pocket. in his pocket. Would, would you like this to... This is tiny. <laughs> I got... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a nonsense sentence. I'm sure you all recognise that. Because yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we actually do it with the intonation of the English language. But, oh, right. Um, uh, I was just about to say, we don't have the, <laughs> the subtitles underneath or anything <laughs> like that. So what about your, your contribution at that time? Well, in the, in the, at the very beginning, very little, nothing, in fact. <laughs> um, I didn't get to know Oliver until the uh, 1980s, because I used to run the Children's Channel, and I was trying to get the rights. And, but the rights had been with the BBC, unbelievably, for, what, 19 years? It had been shown sort of every year, the Clangans, for about 19 years, I think. Um, mm. And eventually it came out, and the, out of the rights, and so I bought the rights, and I restored, I restored Bagpuss and the Clangers at the best you could in those days, which is before digitization and everything, but we cleaned it and everything. And, um, and then um, I showed them on the children's channel, and from that, uh, Oliver got a new, um, I believe, got a new uh, video deal, and then Nickelodeon took them, and it kept on going, it kept on, on and on going. Because um, how many episodes did you make originally? Did, did Oliver, did your father make? Uh, 26. So not many, and, really, um, in the scheme the of special. things. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. And there was a very... Yeah, do you want to talk to us about um, this special, which some of you may not have heard of? But um, your father, he made quite a radical choice by making a very special episode called Vote for Froglet, which went out on the day of the general election, 1974. Yeah, Is that that's right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was... Um, well, they, they observed goings-on on Earth, I think. I'm quite sure how they did it. But anyway, <laughs> and they decided to have a general election... Uh, on the Clangers planet, so you could either vote for Froglet or you could vote for um, the Soup Dragon, you see. And, um, and what happened was there was great animosity grew, un you know, un 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 unexpectedly people divided, well, people, the Clangers divided into different camps that you could either go for Froglet or you could go for the soup dragon, and then they started arguing, and it all, uh, it was just hell on earth, really. You so know, it's the sort of thing that they could really show today, couldn't they, um, to represent what's going on in... in well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, it was a bit of an... Yeah, I don't think they usually do this sort of thing today. No. Day. Yeah, my dad made it um, while Peter was on holiday. I don't know if Peter was aware of what was going on, but he quickly <laughs> animated it. Um, so did you think... Did, did, wait, was Oliver and Peter, were they sort of... Given carte blanche of what to do in those days, were there were there, were there many rules and restrictions of? of no, what yeah, I think they were pretty much given of carte blanche. <laughs> they, well, I, I, the Bible, we got some photographs from the Bible of it. Um, we can show in a bit, but um, was a very sh sh short book with some pictures and a bit of writing in it. And they gave, I mean, they gave them a few hundred quid and sent them on their way to get on with it. Really, yeah. I mean, are they? I think after actually they did. Peter, they made Pogles Wood, or the Pogles, 
uh, with the Pogel Witch, and the set was very scary, and they showed it once, and then they said, no, 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 you can't do that. You know, they, it, it was, and they thought maybe we'd better check on what they're doing in future, because, uh, you know, um, the, the Pogel Witch was, you know... A bit too scary. A bit too scary. For Shall we take a look at some of your work? Oh, yeah, we can have a look at the... Um, was it the tablecloth is the first... Yeah, we've got, we've got a couple of, of things here. Um, because it's the 50th anniversary of the, of, of the Tlangos and the moon landing in the same year, and Monty Python, by the way, given talking of Michael Palin, who does our narration... Um, we, we, it was asked, we, we all suggested that we should do a, 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 a moon landing episode for this series. Um, but there was also an, a moon landing episode in the original series. So, and both feature an astronaut. So we haven't got a lot of time, but I, we just cut a minute from each. So this is from the restored, digitally restored original series of the Clangos called The Tablecloth. And if I press this, yeah. Mm. The planet's gone further. Well, he didn't stay long, did he? Mm, half a dozen more planets to do before tea time, I dare say. But look what he left behind. So that was a minute of the original one. Um, and this is a minute of the one that hasn't gone out yet. And it's going to go out, I think, on the actual anniversary of the moon landing. Majors impressed. This is very interesting indeed. I don't think that was a good idea. Phew, that was a close one. Oh dear, oh dear. Oh gosh. I think Major may be in trouble now. Ah, the visitor wants to be friends. Oh, good. Hmm. Oh. Uh, 
We don't usually have the orchestra, but the BBC offered us the BBC Philharmonic for this, <laughs> for this oh, episode. Wow. So we've got an opening, a, a, a John Williams-type opening for the episode. <laughs> but we didn't, can't show that yet. So um, do tell us what happened between... You said you um, remastered some and made some into videos, is that correct? Yeah. But then the next step was to bring it back onto our screens on CBBS. How did that happen? Well, <laughs> after a lot of talking, I think. I mean, um, the the I, I, when when we had the rights, when my company had the rights, um, we were asked by the Japanese that they'd like to buy the rights, and but they wanted to remake it. And at the time. Um, a, we wouldn't want it remade in Japan, and B, it didn't seem the right time. Um, but I got to know Dan quite well, hmm. and we talked a lot, a lot <laughs> for, for several years about doing um, a new series. And Peter Thurman, who was uh, unfortunately died last year, but um, was very keen, I think, to say, and he said that the... Um, he thought this was the one series that they'd done that could possibly do with a lot more episodes, that there was a sto more stories, a lot more stories to be told in this whole setup. Mm. Um, and he was instrumental with Dan, obviously, in getting this off the ground. Um, and we, we pr produced a Bible, um, and... We took it with some trepidation to the BBC, knowing that um, how few uh, real, how few remakes and new versions of old series had worked, basically. And we assured Kay that it wasn't going to be CGI, so we wouldn't. That. And we took um, two uh, knitted clangers, maquettes, but that high, um, to show what it would look like. Um, and they said yes. Hmm. Hmm. So then the work started. Well, we had, um, yeah, we, through, through, well, I mean, as, um, through Coolabai, um, you know, um, and also with um, uh, Sprout in America as well. They, they sort of invested in the series, which um, had uh, William Shatner doing the, yes. doing the voice. So, which was How a did bit you of a, feel about a, that? Well, <laughs> I was absolutely delighted. <laughs> William Shatner was like a, when I was a kid, you know, on Star Trek, my God, he was a... He was, uh, you know, did, did I he understand the clang clangers? Yeah, he liked it, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he said uh, he said it was an honour to do it. I think. <laughs> I mean, he might say, that, you know, I mean, um, he was very. Uh, uh, he's, he's not like Michael Palin exactly. Michael sort of he, he, <laughs> he, he did his job Michael and Palin. then he he left and then I didn't meet him, but there was no retakes. With Michael's very happy to stick, go and have a pizza and, and <laughs> chat and stuff, you know. So uh, no, it was very exciting. I was very excited. I was. Delighted that. So, how did you go about modernising um, the clangers for the new audience? Well, my uh, Peter had obviously done a lot of design work. We've got just one. Um, these are some of the. This is from the original Bible that he did for the BBC in 1969, um, and Peter was very keen to be involved in the uh, in the um, in the redesign and the and the work. And the first thing we said to him was, well, how do we know how you get from A to B? Because the original series, as Dan will say, was rather made up, not made up as it went along, but things weren't sort of all laid down on day one. Um, but because we would 
although Dan was going to write a huge number of the episodes, because we had to have other writers, we had to know the geography of the planet. So we thought we'd get a little sketch from Peter. And about two days later, we got that. Now, if you can see that, you probably can't... It's a little bit pale for, a, for when it's projected. But that is the complete layout of the Clarence planet. It's how you get from the living cave to the soup wells, uh, to Mother's Garden, which was a new set, um, and to, um, well, to every part of the planet, including how you get up the top. And that became, the, um, that became the, our guide for the series. And he did, I haven't brought them with me, but he did a whole lot of uh, breakout things so that every area had its own individual large picture. And which we gave to our art director, and that was what was behind the whole set design. And he stayed right up until um, right up until his uh, sad death. I mean, he stayed involved. And w in the second series, Major we know makes things, but in the first series we couldn't afford to make Major's workshop because it was a, it was a set too far. But in the second series, because the first series had been a success, we decided we could have a new set. So we asked him what would it look like. And we got all these... Well, we also had a mother's garden, which he'd wanted to do in series one. So he, does these, he did these, all these designs for us for, as a basis for, for our, um, our work. So all, all that care, love and attention from Peter and your input has created this whole new generation of, of um, fans of... The clangers. So yeah, yeah. Awesome. I think it's yeah. it's great to you know with um, I mean we brought in some a mother that now has a a garden. Um, I mean, I was thinking perhaps it might, she could start growing some sort of vegetables and things <laughs> as well for the kid, you know. But um, at the moment they're generally flowers. Some of them are yeah. friendly, talkative flowers. And oh, well, so that, we'll look know. out for those. Thank you yeah. very much, Dan and Dan. We're going to well, move over you. to. That's wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much. Now over to Rosie. Now, Rosie, you are the executive producer of the Paddington Films and the brand new TV preschool series of Paddington. Oh, I've got this little thing for you, oh, apparently. Thank you. <laughs> you. Now, do, would you like to show a little clip of, of, of oh. Paddington right now? Well, we could, we could oh, do yeah. the first question. Yes, I'll tell you. Yes, let me ask you. Personally, Rosie, I, I watched Paddington when I was young many, many moons ago. How about you? Did you used well, to love I, Paddington? I fell in love with Paddington as a child, as I'm sure many of you did. Um, I first met him in book form. I, I loved the books and those wonderful Peggy Fortnum drawings. I think what I first fell in love with was just the oddness of this talking bear in London, in the underground, on buses, in department stores, and, and the scrapes he got into and the way that everything always turned out well. But then I think um, when I revisited him as an adult with my own children, I really saw what a, an extraordinary character Michael Bond had come up with. And this, this beautiful simplicity of this, this character with these very deep sort of philosophical roots that he just has this quintessential innocence, wonder, um, politeness, um, always sees the best in others. Uh, he's never sentimental because he has that hard stare for people who've forgotten their manners. <laughs> so that there's a there's a little edge to him, but he is the the essence of wonder, innocence, goodness. He's like everybody's 
inner child and the bit of you that you really want to preserve. And, and, and he's you know, a great force for good. And um, I was working at Heyday Films, where we make family films, and we were looking for, for projects. And I just felt that there was something about Paddington's character that, that could, could grow, really. And obviously, in that first book, it's an extraordinary story. He comes from Peru. He's the quintessential immigrant refugee. He arrives at a place. Uh, meets a family and finds a new home. Now, actually, in the books, it's it's quite in the first beautiful book. It's quite simple. He arrives, he meets the Browns, and he he quickly falls into a a lovely um, a lovely ritualized life at Windsor Gardens. But what we did in the first film is we sort of we opened it up at that moment when he arrives, he meets the Browns, and then there's a little gap that we introduced of well, would he really feel at home immediately? And so the whole first film was just that adventure of how he, he finds his home and knows his home is with the Browns. But Did you have when, to convince them, Heyday, that this is a good idea? Um, not really. I mean, I, I think um, I talked to David Heyman, who runs Heyday, and, and he had had a Paddington as a, as a boy, and so he was up for the idea. It had become a slightly um, dusty, receding character at that time. Um, the, the people who owned the rights was a, a Canadian um, animation company who I think had had gone under, so it, it was a bit stuck, and we had to we had to wait a long time to to get the rights. And we made firm friends with Michael Bond, and really, you know, listened and talked to him a lot about what made Paddington work. And one of the great tips he gave us, actually, because he'd written the original scripts for the first animated series, um, was how important it was to, to retain Paddington's voice, his inner voice, his way of thinking. And um, in, in the original scripts, Michael Horden had done this narration, so you heard that. But what we did in both the films, and has also been a real mainstay of the, the new preschool series we're doing, is we have Paddington writing to Aunt Lucy. So you don't just have him interacting with characters, but you get that sense of the inner workings of his fresh eyes on everything all the time through his letters to Aunt Lucy. I mean, why don't we show, a, um, we're going to show a couple of clips. First of all, the, the wonderful Ivor Wood um, original film fair, Paddington, written by Michael Bond and narrated by uh, Michael Horden. We'll begin with that. And then we've got a little clip of our, our new updated uh, Blue Zoo series to show Mr. and Mrs. Brown first met Paddington on a railway station, which was how he came to have such an unusual name for a bear. They were waiting for their daughter, Judy, when Mr. Brown caught sight of him, sitting on an old suitcase behind a pile of mailbags. As they drew near, he stood up and politely raised his hat. Good afternoon, he said. Can I help you? Well, no, said Mr. Brown. We were wondering if we could help you. You're a very small bear, said Mrs. Brown. Where are you from? Darkest Peru, said the bear. I'm not really supposed to be here at all. I'm a stowaway. I came all the way in a lifeboat, and I ate marmalade. Bears like marmalade. I used to live with my Aunt Lucy, but she had to go into a home for retired bears, so I emigrated. Oh. Aunt Lucy always said she wanted me to emigrate when I was old enough, but now that I have, I'm not quite sure what to do next. As he bent down, the Browns caught sight of a label round his neck. It said, 
please look after this bear, thank you. It was the kind of label you couldn't possibly ignore, and in no time at all, things began to happen. Mrs. Brown thought of a name for him. Paddington. And while she went off to look for Judy, Mr. Brown was put in charge of ordering some refreshments. Paddington. Paddington. Come along, Paddington, said Mr. Brown. I expect you're hungry after your long journey. I am, said Paddington. Very. Um, that is... So how much of a template was oh, 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 yes. forget, was this well, compared to, I mean, to, to your new? I, I think one of the things, key things to say is that label has been really central to us. Uh, please look after this pair. Thank you. Um, we've taken it really seriously, the, the group of us who've been working on Paddington in his sort of reinvented form over the past few years. Uh, we, really, we feel incredibly protective of his innocence. And he is actually a character who's had various different incarnations, from Peggy Fortnum's drawings to this Ivor Wood incarnation, um, to our, our more photoreal bear in the films. Um, but, but we do feel that there is a very strong DNA with his character that underpins all of it. And as mm -hmm. I say, we're very protective about that. Um, we all of us loved certain things about this original series, and there's something about um, the very simple backdrops, and then the intimacy that you get with Paddington by him being more 3D amidst all the other characters. And uh, I think our new series is very much an, an homage to to this original version. Um, it is. It's. It's. It, it's CGI, so it's not stop frame like this, but it's CGI that mimics a stop frame feel and texture. And it does have these sort of slightly simplified backgrounds in which the character, and you know, obviously with the, the advancements of CGI, you have more fluidity and more right. scope to, to move them around and have a bit more flexibility about what action there can be. But, but there's very much um, drawn from, from these different layers, which also, I don't know if any of you saw the film Paddington 2, where Paddington goes inside the pop-up book, mm. which also felt, felt very much um, drawn from this original aesthetic that had been created in the film fair world. And as I say, although um, it's a straight narration in that, and we've moved away from that, we have, we have scripts, but, we, but we've retained that sense of there being a voice through Paddington having his letters to Aunt and Lucy. And you've kept the voice from the film. Um, yes, indeed. Um, one of the things that was, was very interesting, actually, was that when because we were all so familiar with Michael Horden and his deep voice as um, telling the stories of Paddington. When we came to casting Paddington's voice in the film originally, um, we, talked to, we talked to Colin Firth because he seemed to embody that wonderful, deep, rich, chocolatey voice. And then actually when it came to it and we had the, we had the bear playing, it just didn't quite sit right. And there was something a little bit too adult and and mature about Colin's voice. And so um, we didn't really have any idea whose voice was right. And so we asked all sorts of actors who came, who came along and, and sat in a booth with images of our bear playing on the screen. 
And the person who really emerged as just having that soul of innocence and that purity and that wonderful, fresh-eyed wonder uh, was, was, of course, Ben Wishaw. And we're absolutely thrilled that he has continued in the preschool um, series. And in, indeed, um, three of my colleagues in the TV series are here. Karen, the producer, Michelle, who's the casting director, and Sharon Miller, who's been busily directing um, Ben. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your work with him and what you feel he brings to, to Paddington's special character. Um, stand up Sharon that. Miller. Hello. Um, working with, um, with Ben is wonderful because I think the voice of Paddington um, has to come from inside, has to come from a real understanding of Paddington's character. You can't plonk it on. And what Ben has is, is an innate um, understanding of the Paddington that we saw originally. And, uh, and watching Ben work, he has a sense of wonder and he, he's very wide-eyed when he records Paddington. And he's quite intense. And you see, almost morphing, this bear, in a manner of speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and, he, and he has the wonderful delight and also a lot of questions in his voice and an acceptance and a great respect. And it is, when I give notes to Ben, it, it's, it's not about go faster, go slower. It's all about what Paddington is thinking. What's he thinking now? And it's being so true to the original thoughts that were written by Michael Bond. And that makes it quite remarkable because it, it's almost a stewardship of Paddington, of Paddington and taking him onwards. And that's really the work that we do. And Ben has, has an awful lot of lines. And he... Um, uh, he works with incredible intensity and, and that's quite remarkable and fabulous because he takes it like everybody else who works on it, both with great seriousness but also with great love. And that's something about working on Paddington, actually. We, it's been such a joy and a privilege, the journey we've been on with him, because he's just such a good character. And everybody, you know, talks, says, what would Paddington to do here? And, um, you know, no, that's not Paddingtonian. And there's a whole sort of way of thinking and being that, that we all understand what it is, and, uh, and we're all quite connected by it, and we're all quite protective of it. Do you feel like, um, because this particular new series, mm -hmm. it's a preschool yes. series, did you have to do any changes so that it wasn't as, um, it, it wasn't as diverse in its audience? Because the films are, are for the whole family, really, aren't yes, they? Yes, we have definitely brought the, 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 the series into a, a younger age group. We've actually... Um, we, we didn't, um, Hugh Bonneville and Sally Hawkins, who play the parents brilliantly in the film, they're not voicing the parents in this because we've taken the parents into a slightly younger part of their lives and the, and the two children slightly younger. So, yes, we have, I mean, it's more, it's more in the world of the books in a way because it's all the little domestic episodes that Paddington enjoys in this safe haven of Windsor Gardens community. So why do you think Paddington has survived 50, 
how many years? Something like 58 years or something like that. Well, as I say, I think it's the, the singularity of this character and his fresh eyes on the world and his force for good that he's just... Uh, you know, we came up with a mantra in the second film, um, which his philosophy is, be kind and polite and all will be right. And, and you know, there's a sort of a... And, and everybody poo-poos it, and then it turns out to, to make a difference. And there is a kind of a just a, an innocence about Paddington. But as I say, it's never just saccharine because there's all the slapstick and, and there's the curiosity that goes with it and there is always the hard stare to hold you in place. <laughs> if, uh... that's, that's a good philosophy for everyone. <laughs> but, if you um, doubt, give them a hard stare. Should we show you a, a clip of the... Um, a little, uh, just a, a, a little taste of a moment of the, uh, the new animated series? Yes, please. <laughs> to serve. <laughs> things that these two productions had in common was that they originated from a single person or a single family's vision, the Postgate family and, and, and the Bond family. Um, now fast forward many years, um, not many productions are conceived and created with just that sort of that simple um, origin. Do you find there are many challenges because of all the external factors, I'll ask all three of you, that are now involved in making a new production? Do you feel they interfere with the creative process? Well, um, yeah, I think that, that it, there's so much more at stake now, really. I mean, I think that it's a global concern. Making a program sort of like these is 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 very expensive, right. you know. I mean, uh, the way Peter and Oliver worked was relatively cheap, um, and they were le left to do what they what they were doing, you know. Uh, and uh, that uh, that was okay. But I think now there's a lot more involved, isn't there? You know, these things need to be sold. Uh, the, the programs, ideally, you know, need to travel around the world and so well. Something you're no, it was more in a, just a British-based thing, you know, in those days, you know, I think, you know. Um, and, I, you know, I mean, I'm not involved in the business side of things, but that's, that seems to be the sort of an issue, really. So things have to be looked at and scrutinised and mm -hmm. gone through, you know. Um, and it's not so easy just to have one person sort of coming up with the whole thing completely. For example, you know. do, do, do these alien or, or characters, are they... Are they Unwelcome in certain regions around the world, do you know? Oh, they, uh, the clangers? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> are, are they accepted everywhere, the clangers? I don't know. I, uh, I would have thought so. <laughs> somebody said, well, I mean, there was, I read in the Daily Mail that, they, that oh. somebody said in the, that, that um, they thought they were unChristian. Oh, okay. Because they lived in another place. I thought, I, was, I think they are very Christian, actually. <laughs> I came from my sort of a Quaker family, and I thought that their values are very Quakery, Christian, you know, yeah. Now, so, clangers yeah, are Christian. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there was the difference in, in the days when the clangers were made, when the original Paddington was made. It was usually not only the work of one 
Right. It was usually the work of one animator as well. I mean, I remember going to see Ivor Wood when he was making the first series of Postman Pat, and it was him, just right. in a room with a table. That's it. You know, and he just worked until he'd done it. And I think if you look at, you know, King Rollo, mm -hmm. um, most of them actually, most of the thing, the early, um, you know, Mr. Ben, yes. most of them are one animator, two animators possibly. Very simple, yes. you know, morph. Oh, you know, morph was... Dragging up on my childhood. It was Pete and David, you yeah. know, it was them. Yes. With very little interference. No, exactly. How about Rosie? What, how do you feel Well, about I this? mean, I, you know, any film or animated series, as far as I can see, it's, you know, it's a, it takes a village of mad idealists to, to make it work, and that's certainly true of Paddington. Um, there've been a uh, there's been a huge number of people working on on both the films and and now the, the series we're doing. I don't know. It does seem to me still that there is it's possible to keep a unity and a singleness of a vision um, when there is a very strong piece of work with its own quite strong DNA to it. Um, Studio Canal own the rights to Paddington, and they're very protective as well. And, um, and they know how much we love him at Haydo, so they've, they've been very keen to engage us there as sort of backstop on, on everything as well. So. Did you find you have to put on a different hat making the TV series as opposed to this huge we, monster it's a complete, of movie? No, it's a complete new learning curve. We knew nothing about TV, so it was a long chain of meeting people who introduced us to other people, who brought us to the wonderful Karen producing it, Michelle, Sharon, building up a, a lovely team of like-minded kindred spirits. Great. I think we've got a few minutes left. Would anyone like to ask any questions? Ooh, they're quiet out there. Nothing at all? Okay. Right, okay. Well, well, oh, there is one. Hello. Over there, can you see? You're shy. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Hi, um, um, Johnny Ford from Finger Industries, based here in Sheffield. I mean, you're talking about kind of singularity of vision. Do you think, so, so, I, mean, I guess this is a sort of, Rosie, you may have half answered this. Can you do feel that it's still possible to kind of promote something that is so that has kind of such a strong singular sort of left of field vision in this kind of current field that we all work in now? Um, I very much hope so. You'll have well, to yeah. see. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, in truth, the essence of the films was very much the singularity. There was was very much made possible by our brilliant writer director on those, Paul King, and um, and you know uh, the, the the TV series. I mean, there's 52 episodes, so there is it is a, a bit more spread wide in terms of, of how it's been, but it's done by this wonderful um, company, Blue Zoo, um, and, and with an amazing team led by Adam. And uh, I think it's got, Karen, why don't you speak about this as, uh, as the producer? Yeah, I think it's, it's teamwork, but everyone working with the same goal. You know, we're all following the creative lead of, you know, the, the aim to produce the best Paddington possible. Thank you very much. Anyone else have any questions out there? Oh, he another. Hello. Yes. Oh, can we? Yeah. I'd just like to, first of all, thank Dan and Dan. What a gorgeous session. <laughs> and for looking after such a cherished character. But also, um, 
Paddington looks back, but it also is very now. Michael Bond created Paddington in the aftermath of his experience in the Second World War, where the world was awash with migrants and the dispossessed. And I think Paddington's more relevant today, actually, uh, than it has been for a while. And I just really, with all my heart, want to congratulate you on the second film. Because we live in a franchise world of diminishing returns where every successive film gets worse and a little bit less uh, delightful than the last. And I thought your second film was a triumph. Oh, I, mean, I, I went you. to see it three times. <laughs> well, as I say, yeah. most of the credit, apart from Michael Bond on that, is due to Paul King. Yes. Um, but as I say, it does take a village of mad idealists to make such a film. And we were thrilled with how that came together. And it was, it, it was a joy to see how it reached people and, as you say, how pertinent it felt. But we were very... It, it, was, it is the gift of this character. There was yes. the potential within Cat Paddington to create that film and that story. It's a humanist accomplishment, yeah. I think, really, yes. Yeah. And we, I took my whole team and we were saying, how much did they spend on that sequence in the, in the credits? It must have been a <laughs> quarter of a million pounds. Good on you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Any more questions out there? Oh, oh, we have right at the front. Oh, where are you going? There's one over there. Okay. And this is for for Daniel Postgate. Um, could you have ended up doing anything else growing up in your household? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, it was funny, actually, because I was thinking, um, often sort of asked about, because I was about six or seven when The Clangers was being made, and um, they were made in this old medieval, um, well, medieval, it was an, an ancient barn, and um, it was funny because there was um, swallows nesting in there, and they used to poo on the planet, and my dad had to mop the planet in the morning, and they had little baby birds would fall out of the nests onto the planet as well. And Peter made hammocks to catch them, but they missed their hammocks. And oh, spring watch would have a field yeah, day that Yeah, yeah, and then there was the mice. And, but the thing is, he, after they finished filming, he gave me the puppets, and I'd take them out and, in the yard and play with them. I had a sky moo I played with, and it fell apart, which was a bit of a shame, really, a bit of a crime, really. We didn't know, but they didn't think they are going to be, you know, once the programme's made, they didn't think they'd go on to be particularly... Um, become, you know, 50 years later, they were still sort of uh, cherished. But anyway, yeah, no, I played with... I used to think about making my own programmes, you know, or, or invent my own little characters and things like that. I mean, I originally went into children's books, really. That's what I did for about 15 or 16 years before taking over from my dad's, you know, um, inheriting small films. But, yeah, I suppose, you know, it was always something about... Yeah, I mean, just... I don't know about animation as such. I'd never sort of like got the... Because I saw him at it, you know, after primary school. I used to pop in and see him on the way home. And, uh, you know, it's sort of quite a slow process. I used to think, oh, I don't know about this bit of it. I quite like the idea of writing stories, inventing characters, but the process of animation was quite sort of... You know, I mean, obviously, today it's different because there's lots of people and they're all together and they have fun and stuff like that. But my dad was in his, his pig shed sometimes all day long. And uh, he had a converted pig shed he worked in, as well as the barn. There was this, you know, for, um, he had the roof raised, and it was a sort of for long pigs, they called it. Said. Um, so, um, but yeah, no, just the magic of sort of writing stories and, and working characters was very appealing. 
So, yeah, I didn't become a plumber or anything. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've been, you're still making new clangers now, aren't you? you yes, we are. Yeah, yeah, yes. Now, the new Paddington, it's, it's, it's going uh, to early preview next in, year. in yeah. next year, but in the US before that, is that correct? Um, Karen? Early next year. Early next year. Early next year. And could we possibly have another little listener for your whistle? <laughs> what would you like to say? I don't know, what would you like to say? <laughs> That's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Dan Postgate, Dan Maddicott, Rosie Allison. Thank you very much. <laughs>